minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we go. It's the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by those kind folk at the Community Radio Satellite, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network and it's also obviously broadcast across many community radio stations across the land in every state. It's the Anarchist World this week and my name's Joseph Toscana. If you've got any complaints, write to me, OK? You can even email me. T-O-S-C-A-N-O. You wonder what anarchy is all about? Simple concept, anarchos without rulers. It's about creating a society without rulers. That's right, a society without rulers, not without rules. And how do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power, which means you share power and you share wealth because it's concentrations in power and wealth which give people or individuals, or small cliques, the ability to determine other people's future and use the system to promote their own personal goodwill and ambitions. So it's about devolving power, sharing wealth. So if you're involved in the struggle to share wealth or devolve power, whether you think you're an anarchist or not, you are basically walking along the same road as us towards that goal of creating a society without rulers. Here we go. Now, as we, get to, as we get to the end of the year, you kind of tend to reflect. I don't know why, but we do reflect. Maybe as the uh, number of activities are beginning to diminish, we do have a little short period of time to reflect. But before we reflect, I'd just like to remind you of two things that are coming up that are important to us here at the Anarchist uh, Media Institute. Uh, the first one is the West Papuan uh, Independence Movement's Rent Collective Dinner. About five years ago, my late wife and I, Ellen Jose, initiated a campaign to form a rent collective to give West Papuan activists, both here and overseas and in West Papua, the ability to get their message across regarding West Papuan independence without having to worry about the day-to-day problems of having a space which they pay rent for. Now, the Rent Collective is made up of uh, extraordinary people who donate a dollar a day towards the rent. We usually need about 70 people in the Rent Collective. We're down to about 50 People fall on hard times, others die, and we need another 20 new members within the next month or two. And what the Rent Collective does, it pays for the office 
for the West Papua Independence Movement at Unit 211 at 838 Collins Street in Docklands. That's right. I mean, this is a, an independence movement that's working on behalf of uh, millions of people who have been oppressed for generations. It's an independence movement which has seen the loss of over 500,000 people in the last 60 years since uh, West Papua was annexed into uh, Papua, into uh, Indonesia. It's an independence movement that sees the Morning Star as its uh, symbol on its flag that saw over 750 university students in West Papua arrested on the 1st of December for having the audacity to come together to celebrate their flag, their desire for independence. It is one of the last colonies left on planet Earth. It is totally exploited by the, by the Indonesian government, assisted ably by the United States government and United States companies which own Freeport, funny name, isn't it, for the world's biggest gold mine. A gold mine that has been producing gold for over 60 years and continues to produce gold. So it is a David and Goliath struggle. It is a struggle between a a Tyrannosaurus Rex and a Sparrow. But it is a struggle that has gone on now for many years and it's a struggle that cannot be put out. Although the Indonesian government has done everything it can to actually sap the will and desire of West Papuans for their own independent state. By embarking on an ambitious transmigration program, which has resulted in over one and a half, over one million Indonesians being resettled in West Papua on land which has been taken from West Papuans. So it's the least we can do here in Australia. West Papua is only 72 kilometres from the tip of North Australia. 72 kilometres. It has seen some of the most barbarous massacres since World War II. It continues to be a hotbed of military and social and political struggle. So the least we could do was pay the rent for an office so they can conduct their independent struggle in the way they see fit. We don't tell the West Papuans how to conduct their independent struggle or how to run their office. We pay the rent to provide them with the space and the social media profile that they require to conduct that struggle both in Australia, in West Papua and around the world. So this Sunday, the 9th of December, if you do find yourself in the fair city of Melbourne, talking about the weather, the fair city of Melbourne, because I think it's going to be a good day Sunday, nice and sunny, come up to 838 Collins Street in Docklands, which is the end of Collins Street, past... um, Southern Cross Station, same sign, 838. Go down the laneway and hey, Prester, at the back, there'll be a huge gathering of people who've come together from the West Papua Rent Collective to talk, 
exchange ideas, get access to a free lunch, which is provided by Sampari Catering, a West Papua and Catering Group, which uh, I recommend. And then at 2 o'clock, there'll be a, a talk on the disappearing fauna and flora in West Papua. And this is a great way of you trying before you buy. You can go upstairs and have a look at the West Papua office, have a look at how it's structured, what they're doing. Uh, it's uh, you know it's, it's a friendly environment. As I said, 838 Collins Street, Docklands. And uh, you're all welcome. You don't have to be a Rent Collective member. You don't even have to join the Rent Collective. Just show a little bit of solidarity on the day and turn up. But if you want to be a Rent Collective member, and we are looking for 20 new more members by the end of 2018, and it's not an impossible task, and you don't get a tax deduction, and you can do it anonymously, we'll give you the details, the banking details, and all you've got to do is put the money in. You can do it once a year, $365, or 366 in the leap year, or you can do it monthly, that's uh, $30 a month, or $31 a month, a dollar a day, what's that, a quarter of a cup of coffee, a tenth of a cheap pizza, not much, what, three cigarettes, two cigarettes, dollar a day. For a dollar a day, you can keep the West Papua Independence Movement office here in Australia open. And it's not just for Australians. This is an office which has caused the Indonesian government a great deal of indigestion, and especially the Indonesian consulate in Melbourne and the Indonesian embassy in Canberra. It's an office which is involved in legitimate legal political work. Because we pay the rents and we're, we're a collective, it's much more difficult to close down the office than if they pay the rent. So this is a politically motivated campaign to promote that struggle in this city and around the world. And it has been exceptionally successful as an organising hub over the last five years. And it would be a pity if they have to move to some, uh, you know, little office somewhere in the middle of nowhere to continue to conduct that struggle. So think about it. Join the West Papua Rent Collective. Come along if you're in Melbourne. If you can't make it, you can always email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com or you can leave a message on 0439 395 489 0439 395 489 and we'll send you the necessary details you know to, to join the rent collective we don't keep a list you know so it's up to you oh, it's you know you got you got rallies at christmas that got everything this is a great gift to give to yourself or you could surprise your super rich uncle with a membership of the West Papuan or auntie with a membership of the West Papuan Rent Collective. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscan. I'm hosting the program. So remember, this Sunday, 9th of December, 1pm, 838 Collins Street. Just come round the back, big barbecue area, uh, meeting room, garden. So come along. Should be finished by about 3.30, 1pm lunch. Talk starts around 2pm about the disappearing fauna and flora in West Papua. Even if you're not interested in the Rent Collective, you're more than welcome. Come along, 
participate in what will be the uh, end of year event uh, for the for the uh, West Park and Rent Collective. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Now I've had some information which you may find quite fascinating. You know, from the sixth of December that asylum seekers who are waiting to have their cases processed and refugees living in Australia have had their new start allowances cancelled. That's right. Cancelled. Bingo. One month's notice. Bingo. Sorry. You're... Pittance, your $250 a week, it's been cancelled. You're going to have to rely on individual private charity. We'll get some, you know, cash work somewhere in order to survive. What an extraordinary society we've become. What an extraordinary government we have. How extraordinary. For years, decades, we've heard how people on New Start allowances, you know, are exploited in this country. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, and now we see some of the most marginalised people in our society living in this country. People, you know, seeking asylum, who are waiting for their cases to be processed through the uh, through the current structures. Told sixth of December. Thank you. Bye bye. Last payment. No more new start. You're out on your own. And these people have been, may have been here two, three, four years. Older people, young people. It's all right if you're fit and healthy and you can make a buck. If you're not fit and healthy and you can't make a buck or you're getting a bit older, you know, or you're a young child, think about it. And if you think I'm lying, ring up the minister, find out what's going on. Just thought I'd just fill you in. It just shows what a kind, caring nation we are. Talking about kind, caring nations, let's look at some ideas. Ah, before we do that, I'd like to thank all those people who came to the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations in Ballarat on Monday the 3rd of December. You know all you are, and I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR for broadcasting the first two hours of the ceremony from 4am to 6am live, not only to the people of Australia, to the people of Melbourne, but the people of the world via the community, by the by the World Wide Web, 3cr.org.au. So thank you very much. You all know who you are. You did an extraordinary, it was an extraordinary day. Started at 4am, finished it after 10pm, started with the dawn ceremony, finished with the Eureka dinner. We had uh, seven new uh, Eureka medalists and the Eureka Australia... Eureka Australia Medal, EAM, is given to activists who've made a significant contribution over the years who have not been recognised. That's the great thing about living in the land of Oz, that if you do get a gong from the government of the day or the private organisation which runs the, um, you know, the, the gongs, you either get it on the Queen's birthday or Invasion Day. Isn't that extraordinary? The Queen's birthday or Invasion Day, isn't that extraordinary if you get a gong? So that we had... Seven winners, and I'd like to mention the winners, if I remember them. I'm sure I remember them. Who received, and they all turned up at Bakery Hill in Ballarat, the site at which on the 29th of November, 
1854, the Eureka Oath was sworn. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. There was Susan Shab, a woman in her 70s who's been an activist for many, many years, heavily involved in the 10-day uh, vigil on the steps of Parliament, 10-day public housing, everybody's business vigil on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House and heavily involved in many other activities over many, many years. A very strong, determined human being. He's made a significant contribution to society but never been recognised. There was Bernadette Cheeseman from Ballarat, a disability rights activist, a woman who sustained encephalitis and some residual brain injury over 15 years ago, who's been active for many, many years, before and after her encephalitis. She was honoured with an Australia Eureka Medal. Also from Ballarat, Bernie Constable, current secretary of the uh, Shearers Union, a uh, formidable unionist and activist, many, many years an activist. Sam Castro, currently with Friends of the Earth, a woman who's devoted a radical, an anarchist, a feminist, a woman who has devoted her life to improving the lot of others. Howard Morosi, who's been involved in the public housing struggle for many, many, many years. The Reverend Bill Nadji, who's worked tirelessly on the Mornington Peninsula, especially in Frankston, Seaford, Crib Point, around that area, for over 40 years providing practical, real assistance to people who've been exploited, marginalised, made homeless, pushed around. Extraordinary career of over 40 years. Nothing to show for it except the love that's directed his way for the work he's done over those 40 years. A man who doesn't, you won't see in the media, doesn't push himself, doesn't push his religious belief, but a man who is willing, who has given his life over the last 40 years, providing real, practical assistance, somebody I met over five years ago, and an extraordinary human being. And last but not least, we have the... Uh, NUW, National Union of Workers, delegates group from the Hume Division. Most radical and active and egalitarian union group in this country. The delegates have been awarded the Australia Eureka Medal and Marcus and Greg, who are both delegates, came to receive that uh, medal here on Bakery Hill on the 3rd of December. Extraordinary. And for their for their uh, efforts over the years, the whole division has been closed down. That's right. The whole division at Broadmeadows has been closed down. Over 700 workers will lose their jobs because they had the audacity to stand up to some of the largest corporations in this country 
and have some of the best conditions and wages in this country because of their militancy. Also, I'd like to thank uh, Mr Graham Dunstan who provided the uh, lanterns and did a lot of the work. Him and Rebecca did a lot of the work in terms of all the uh, banners which were put up at Eureka Park and which were carried by people from Eureka Park to the old Ballarat Cemetery where we paid our respects to those men who had died on the 3rd of December and pay our respects to all those men and women and children who were involved in that revolt in 1854. And also I'd like to thank Dr Anne Beggs Sunter, the foremost uh, living, in my opinion, foremost living expert on Eureka, who was our guest speaker at the Eureka dinner that night. Extraordinary um, human being. When the uh, Eureka was it the was it made the Museum of Australian Democracy at Eureka, which was the tarted up old Eureka Centre, was closed down because it was making a big loss. And the council they uh, the council wants to set up a new Eureka Centre, and they had a general call out, sent people invitations to apply for the new uh, management board. And guess what, Dr. Anne Begsunter, leading academic lectures at the University of Ballarat, lives in Ballarat, foremost living expert on Eureka in this country, was not picked to be on that management committee. It really shows you the nature. And once again, we'd like to thank the Ballarat City Council for not putting the Eureka flag on the main flagpole of the Ballarat City Hall on the 3rd of December. Never in the 164-year history has the Eureka flag been flown on the flagpole. And also we'd like to thank them because it took them uh, it took a, a, an interview on the ABC radio for them to take down the tattered Eureka flag that was, you know, limping in the wind at Bakery Hill and replace it with a proper flag at 3.30 that afternoon. So they've got a long way to go. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? People in that, in that city, I find them quite... Businesses in that city, I find them quite extraordinary in the, in the Ballarat City Council. They use the symbols of Eureka. They wrap, wrap themselves up in the Eureka flag, but if you went to Ballarat on the 3rd of December like I did and spent the day there, nothing. Nothing. A few ceremonies, but nothing else. No flags, no bunting, no official ceremony by the Ballarat City Council. Nothing. Quite extraordinary. Quite an extraordinary situation we find ourselves in. Quite extraordinary. But that's, that's what you'd expect, you know. That's what you expect from a Conservative council. Although I have been told they're the first council that's actually accepted climate change and said they'll do something about climate change. So maybe we will uh, we'll, we'll sort that out another day. All right, let's move on. We could talk about it all day, but I don't want to bore you. And just in case you've forgotten... The Tanaminawaya Mōbōhina ceremony will be conducted on Sunday the 20th of January at the Tanaminawaya Mōbōhina um, commemoration site at the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street where we had established after a 10-year struggle the first, the most prominent monument to the frontier wars in Australia in 2016. So the Tanamuya Mōbōhina ceremony will start at midday sharp, finishes about 3pm. Uh, you're all welcome. 
you got children, bring children. It's a great day. We'll have uh, interesting speakers. Uh, and after that, we'll march to what we think is their, their, their burial site, their last uh, their burial site in the Queen Victoria Market. So it should be a great day. It's a commemoration. Tanaminawe and Mwabohina were two Aboriginal men who were hung, first people hung, publicly executed on the 25th of January 1842. That makes it a hundred and... What's that? A hundred and... 77 years ago, that's right, 177 years ago, for having the audacity to resist the colonisation process. We saw the brutalisation and genocide of people who'd lived on this land for over 60,000 years. So I'll talk more about that. There'll be a special program in the first week of January, which will, uh, 2019, which will look at that particular issue. Now, the new battleground. The new battleground. If there's one thing the Victorian election, I think, has taught people is that there's change in the air. Not radical economic change, but progressive, socially progressive change. Because the Labor Party, by pushing socially progressive policies in Victoria has been able to capture the economic conservatives in the Liberal Party and the National Party to some degree who have been squeezed out by the socially conservative rump of the Liberal National Party which dominates the party currently. So we have a new, we have a realignment. Because the thing about Labor in this country is that it's economically conservative. It's a, it has been conducting neoliberal policies for the last, since the election of the Hawke-Keating government. It has stood at the front line of the privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation, deregulation brigade, ahead of the Liberal National Party in many regards. So we've seen the election, a landslide victory, of a socially progressive and economic conservative Labor Party. And they've been able to achieve that landslide victory by ignoring their heartland and by concentrating on social issues, by being able to get people who are normally economically conservative to switch their allegiance. So we currently have a a Liberal National Party that is socially conservative, and economically conservative. We have a Labor Party, which is socially progressive in some, on some issues, and economically conservative. Its uh, policies almost mirror the Liberal National Party's economic policies. Then we have a Greens Party, which is socially progressive and has a 
mixed ideas regarding economics. So what we're looking for is socially progressive and economically radical political movements or political parties. Because the culture wars are over. The culture wars are finished. Wars which have been conducted by the mass media and the government guild at ABC for decades are gone. They're finished. All those Murdoch hacks who concentrate on attempting to stop society moving forward on social issues have been not only decimated, they've been routed. So it's not going to be the new battlegrounds. The new battleground in politics, at a parliamentary level and an extra-parliamentary level, is going to be between socially progressive and economically radical groups and the rest. And public interest before corporate interest, which was formed in April 2015, is just that. It is a political party, an activist group, which is both socially progressive and economically radical. It is involved in the struggle for the redistribution of wealth. It's involved in the struggle to create collectives and cooperatives to set up a third arm in an economy which is dominated by the state and the corporate sector. It is a party that's inclusive. So if you are interested in getting on board this new battleground, if you're interested in not just being a passive observer of history, but if you're interested in making history, then I encourage you to join public interest before corporate interest. I know it's a mouthful, PIBCI, P-I-B-C-I. But that's the essence. That's the essence of our socially progressive, economically radical agenda. That is the very essence of it. Public interests, the interests of the many, before corporate interests, the interests of the few. Nothing new. So you do have options in life in Australia today. You still have options. It's not a dictatorship. A lot of people say it's a dictatorship. It's not a dictatorship. It's a representative democracy with the corporations, unaccountable corporations, basically, to a large degree, determine economic policy. They don't, give a, they don't care about socially progressive movements. makes no difference to their bottom line. It no, makes no difference if you have marriage equality. It actually improves the economic uh, return. More people getting married, more people involved in making a buck. They love green capitalism. They're having a bit of trouble. The old fossil fuel industry is going to be legislated out of existence and you know, cease to exist in 30 or 40 years' time. And they're a bit worried. But there are many other capitalists who see green capitalism as the way forward. So you can be socially progressive and economically conservative. 
And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing people who, you know, benefit from current legislation regarding negative gearing, who are getting high wages, who are, you know, have the time and the liberty, have the time to be socially progressive because it doesn't really, does not touch their bottom line. And in many regards, it actually improves the return to them. But what's happened over the last 40 years is we've seen more and more people being left behind in this little debate. And unfortunately, many of those who've been left behind think, honestly believe, that the issue is migration. The issue is the other. The person of a different colour or a different religion or speaks a different nationality. They don't seem to understand. The issue is much more than that. So I encourage you to join Public Interest Before Corporate. I'm the current secretary. We've got about 390, almost 400 members on the electoral roll, you know, the 150 on the electoral roll before we can register as a political party. I'm quite confident we won't be registering as a political party before the next federal election, but we're a forward-thinking group. If you think we're just a political party, think again. Public Interest Before Corporate Interest was the organisation which was behind the Public Housing Everybody's Business campaign, the 10-day vigil on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, which did have an impact. Think about it. How do you join? Well, it doesn't cost you anything. It's very simple. You get an ap- you get an application form. How do you get an application form? You can download it from the uh, internet. Go to public interest before corporate interest, pipsy.net. Bang, download it. If you can't download it, you can always give me a call. Leave a name and address and I'll send you out a few application forms. 0439. 395-489 or you can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com or you can also email me at info at pipsy.net info at pipsy.net we can send you out an application form have a look if you like it join if you don't like it tear it up it's up to you but you need options we are on a new battleground the old class divisions are being redesigned People are being realigned in terms of their uh, political and social um, conduct. And we're finding that those who are dispossessed, those who are left behind, those who have no economic muscle, are moving more and more to those groups and people who have a hate agenda, who have a divisive agenda, who believe the issue is somebody's race or somebody's religion, but the issue isn't the fact that the government is actually a at the local, state and federal level to a large, a significant degree, a creature of a corp- corporate sector which is heavily involved in creating profits, ever-increasing profits at every year, irrespective of the human, social, national and environmental consequences. So you can join Pipsy today. You can do it over the net, pipsy.net, download the application form, go to info at pipsy.net. You know, if you want to, you can't download it, we'll send you one out. You can ring me on 0439 395 489, leave a message and I'll send you an application form. 
And if you don't want to do any of that, you can always write to us, PIBCI, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Think about it. Your Christmas present to yourself, your, if you're not religious, your end-of-the-year present to yourself. Become a member of Pipsy. Get a beautiful little little card, comes in the mail, and guess what? Yeah, then you'll be actually be able to involved in all these discussions about policy and agendas. And if the party ever gets registered, hopefully in the next 12 months or so, you could put yourself up for election anywhere in the country. Because why political party? Well, politics in Australia today is a little bit of a little bit of a game, and you've got to play by the rules in order to have any 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 hope. And the rules are very simple. The rules are structured to give parties hugely unfair advantage over individuals. And I won't go into it today, but you know it's a hugely unfair advantage. It is a game of registered political parties, and uh, the sooner we become one, the sooner we'll have a little bit of effect on the political scene. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. So the new battleground. Socially conservative slash economically conservative versus socially progressive slash economic conservative versus socially progressive, economically progressive radical. Think about it. Join Pipsy today. All right, let's move on. What's a basic living wage and what's a universal living wage? Because, you know, language is everything. And this is something, uh, you know, we've been thinking about and discussing at public interest before corporate interest for some time. Well, a basic living wage is basically a wage which looks after people's immediate needs which is based on the concept that a person is a citizen or a permanent residence, resident of a nation state. That's simple. It's based on that. It's not based on the concept that, in order to get that wage, like a basic uh, wage, as far as that, you have to be tied to paid employment, whether you're self-employed, private sector, public sector. Currently. The basic wage is tied to the idea that you have to do some work in order to receive a wage which theoretically should be above the poverty line. Well, the idea of a basic living wage is everybody over a specific age, say 18, who's a citizen or a permanent resident, automatically receives money from the state to take care of their basic human needs, shelter, food, personal security. You don't actually have to be tied to the wage system. So it has a lot of positive effects apart from putting a lot of money back into the economy. This is in a uh, mixed economy, you know, cap- mixed capitalist economy. It puts a lot of money back into the economy. But it has a lot of positive effects because it means that as individuals receive the payment because they are a citizen or a permanent resident, they're over, say, 18 or over, it gives that individual the power to leave an unsatisfactory situation. It gives the individual the power to escape domestic violence or an unhappy situation because it means they're not financially dependent on anybody. They have their own resources, courtesy of the fact they're a citizen. 
That's a basic living wage. Usually a basic living wage is based on the concept of a means test. That means that if you earn so much a year, you're entitled to it. If you, if you earn more than that amount, you're entitled to less, and if you earn so much, you're not entitled to anything. So it's a very complex, difficult system to uh, regulate because you need a vast bureaucracy and you've got many, many different types of social security payments. Like I think we've got about 19 currently in Australia. That includes things like New Start Allowance, uh, single parents benefits, you know, uh, disabled uh, disability support pensioners, old age pensioners, etc., etc. Now, what's a universal living wage? A universal living wage is a wage that is given to everybody if they're a citizen or a resident. It's not means tested. So everybody receives so much per week, let's say $50,000 a year, because they are. And what they earn on top of that is theirs. So it's not means tested. So what a universal living wage means is that you can actually cut down the bureaucracy to almost nothing and save billions of dollars because you don't have a bureaucracy overseeing the system. But... A universal living wage has the potential to skyrocket prices through inflation has the, and also is grossly unfair because it gives people hard-earned taxation revenue, although they don't actually need that revenue because they're making a, li- a good living at the time, at that particular time. So both systems have a, a lot to be desired because both systems break away from the concept that you need a wage or investments, returns from investments in order to survive. The state provides that basic necessity for a living wage, whether it's a basic living wage or a universal living wage. Now, I've been thinking about this for a number of uh, weeks because it's my task to help formulate universal basic living wage uh, policy for public interest before corporate interest. So, And there are people within public interest before corporate interest who think the idea of a basic living wage is a good idea and other people who think a universal living wage is a good idea. So a good way around this to ensure the system is fair and that it doesn't actually promote inflation is to meld the two together. So what you would do is you would have a universal living wage for everybody, every citizen, every resident. And obviously, there'd be different arrangements for asylum seekers and refugees living in this country, so they're not forgotten, unlike the current government, which has just removed their ability to access New Start. So everybody would receive, let's say it's, 50, let's say it's determined by a tribunal that $50,000 is what you need as an individual to survive comfortably in our society today, okay? $50,000. Now, for every, if you earn less than $50,000, it's your bonus. End of story. If you earn between 50000 and hundred, so what you're going to use is you've got to use the taxation system to claw back that money that everybody's been given. So if you earn less than $50,000, 
per year, that living wage or universal wage or living wage remains your property. If you earn between 50000 say 100000 the amount you've got to give back to the government through the taxation system increases for every $10,000 that uh, you earn. And if you earn, if your taxable income is more than $100,000, well, then you lose, you've got to give back that $50,000. So what this does, it's a fair system. It doesn't promote inflation. And it whittles down the bureaucracy to almost nothing because we've got a bureaucracy now that deals with taxation. So you can still get rid of the bureaucracy, which determines who is eligible for what payment. So how would you fund it? Well, you've got to need look at new ways of taxation, things we've talked about on this program for years, like a 1% turnover tax, say, for companies that have a turnover more than $2 million. Bang, 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 bang. Or a 1% stock market tax. Every time you buy or sell a share, 1% goes to government revenue. So taxes like this can actually be a way of funding such a system which provides for everybody's universal human needs in a fair way while reducing bureaucracy at the same time. Think about it. It will be the issue of the future because we don't need people to work for societies to function. It's the same problem that the Roman Empire had 2,000 years ago. As their conquests increased... And the number of slaves which poured back to Rome and the regions around Rome increased. The plebeians, who were needed before to keep the city rolling and keep the empire going, were no longer needed. They were supernumeraries. So what did the state do in order to ensure that they remained loyal to the state? They provided three food. They provided three accommodation. They provided... Um, circuses, in some cases up to 200 days a year to keep people amused. Bread and circuses, where the term bread and circuses come from. Now, with mechanisation, we have the same problem. With the digital age, we have the same problem as a society. You don't need everybody to work. And that's why there's so much underemployment in order for society to function. You don't need it. So what are you going to do with people? Are you going to put up against the wall and shoot them or gas them or deport them? Or are you going to do something in order to ensure that basic human needs are met and that people can get their satisfaction through involvement in projects or doing things they want to do while their basic human needs are met? And what's where the concept of a basic living wage or a universal living wage comes in? And it'll be something which governments will need to tackle. Otherwise, as more and more people become dispossessed and marginalised and pushed about and economically ravaged, as we saw in Paris a few days ago, you'll have social unrest. 
huge social unrest which can't be policed away. So it is an, it's, a, it's a concept that needs that will be looked at very closely over the next decade or two. And it'll be looked at not by the socially progressive, economic, conservative forces in our society, which are basically lodged within the Labour Party and section of the Liberal and National Party, not by the socially conservative, uh, economically conservative forces in our society, which are dying, dying, slowly withering away on the vine. But it'll be something which will be promoted by those organisations like public interest before corporate interest that are socially progressive and economically radical. Who are interested in not only the creation of wealth and how wealth is created and how that you know impacts on the environment, but are interested in how wealth should be distributed. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. 3cr.org.au. Now, guess what? There's a bill going to federal parliament soon that wants ministers of the Crown, ministers of the government, to undergo security checks before they can actually look at classified documents. Already... Members of Parliament have to go and undergo security checks before they can look at classified documents. So although people have been elected into the House by the people of Australia and they represent them, they're denied access to so-called classified documents because it may harm national security. And I assume that's where all this encryption stuff comes in. But that's another story. But I just thought that was an interesting thing, that they now want to... Ministers of the Crowns, parliamentary secretaries all to have security checks, you know, the failed security checks, which is as harsh as you, do, you have to undergo when you apply to uh, work for ASIO. No wonder I never got that ASIO job. I did apply for the director. of Never never got an answer. I don't know why. But that's another story. Okay, let's move on. Now, the public housing, everybody's business campaign. Now, this is a campaign which was launched a few years ago well, this particular aspect of the campaign was only launched about six months ago, and it's the group that was responsible for the parliamentary vigil. Now, a lot of people are a little bit confused about what this is about. This is not just about homelessness. Homelessness is the cutting edge of this struggle because homelessness is increasing. All the money which is provided for the homeless to reduce homelessness is basically being fed into a homeless machine that profits and needs homeless people. Now, the concept is very simple. The concept is about increasing public housing stock at the expense of private housing stock. And how do you increase public housing stock? By putting people before railway crossings, people before infrastructure. It's that simple. So a strong public housing sector in a mixed economy, and that's an economy where the public sector that's the state-owned sector, competes with the uh, private sector. If you've got a strong public sector, that has a lot of consequences. It means that, as far as housing is concerned, it means that you can cure homelessness in a month. That's right. You could cure homelessness in Victoria in a month. It's a matter of political will. It's a matter of having the necessary resources. And you do that by allocating the money which is raised by stamp duty by the state every year 
into public housing. Not only do you eradicate homelessness in a month, you put downward pressure on rents. Rents would drop, and that affects 30% of Victorians and 30% of Australians. Not only would rents drop, housing prices at the lower end of the market would drop because investors would divest themselves, sell their property because they're not making a buck out of it. And it'd have a positive effect for small business because having 30 to 40 or 50% of the economy being wasted into provide a roof over a person's head means that hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, are removed from the day-to-day economic activity. You would have hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, back into the economy, which would mean that small business would actually survive, survive against the corporate onslaught currently, and it increases social cohesiveness. It means less crime, less issues, you know, as far as uh, violence in the home is concerned, less issues as general violence is concerned. It's a win-win situation. So keep listening to the program because we've got some really interesting tactics and battles to pursue starting the first week of February. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can go to a number of websites, anarchistmedia.org. Defend a number of Facebook pages. Oh, sorry, pipsi.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. You can go to a number of Facebook pages, public interest before corporate interest. You can go to the Facebook page, which will be updated hopefully in the next few weeks. You can go to the Facebook page, Toscano for the Public, um, defend and extend public housing. Public housing is everybody's business. Don't forget, this Sunday, 9th of December, 1pm, Docklands, 838, West Papua Rent Collective uh, Gathering. You're all invited, whether you're members or not. And don't forget the 20th of January, midday, corner of Victoria and Franklin Street in Melbourne, uh, Tanaminawe Mulbohina Commemoration Ceremony. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That number, 0439 395 489. And yes, you can still write letters. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Listen in to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, streaming live on 3cr.org. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh!